Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 3rd, 2011. For newcomers, go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the audios which are there for a free download. There's hundreds to choose from and hopefully you'll get some idea of the massive superstructure which overlays way above government this whole system and runs every little facet of really not only your life personally uh, but even all the different degreed systems above you uh, which run uh, the countries, your county, your local areas, everything and every single department. It's, it's massive, it's huge, it's interlinked and it was planned a long time ago. You're born into a system where your reality is given to you and mammals of course never, never have to be warned by the adult mammal what to be wary of. If the adult doesn't know it, then neither will the youngster. And we're no different from any other mammal. If your parents don't know, they were born into a big a big kaleidoscopic um, LSD trip, basically, run by very, very intelligent people above them, then neither will you know. You will take everything for granted, and all the gadgets and gizmos of, and the wonders of science that are given to you, you'll grab them all up and gobble them up, just like predecessors gobbled up rock music and everything else. So it's all quite natural to you. You think it's all just evolving in your lifetime, and nothing is further from the truth. So help yourself to those audios, and remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you, so you can keep me going by buying the books and I have for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com And remember too, all the sites listed there have transcripts in English for print-up as well of a lot of the talks I've given and if you want uh, them in other languages go into AlanWattSentinel.eu and help yourself to the variety on offer there And again, too, buy the books and the discs I have for sale from the U.S. to Canada. Personal check is good. An international postal money order from your post office is good. Cash is fine. And so is PayPal. You'll find out how to use it at cuttingthroughdemetries.com. Send off the donation through PayPal, followed up by an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get your order out to you. And remember, straight donations are definitely welcome in these hard times. And... um, it's astonishing how the U.S. dollar is just falling against all other currencies, and it's way below the Canadian one, and it has been now for a, oh, a couple of years now, I think, or maybe three. But it's really going down as, of course, to bring out all the bread and circuses for the public to gorge upon, like uh, uh, Osama and all that kind of nonsense, all the big PSYOP operations which are pulled out now to make Americans think they're getting some kind of value for all the trillions of dollars of taxpayers spending abroad for the few to plunder the oil fields and everything else. Uh, and, of course, other big plans for the future across Afghanistan, Pakistan, and elsewhere. So it's just astonishing that PSYOPs can pull off operations. Uh, we've had so many in the past. People never learn. They never remember. In fact, they have very short memories, and they can't remember all the ones to do, even with Iraq, never mind anywhere else. And really, Osama is just the latest trick to divert the public, uh, to make you think you've actually got something for your money. And it's good enough for the average person at the bottom. They'll actually take like a big football match and cheer them on. Oh, yeah, yeah, we got the guy last. And all Osama is, 
and always was really is a bogeyman. He was the, he was the, the Goldstein uh, that George Orwell had in 1984. So Osama bin Goldstein has been handed to the people, supposedly, I mean, we'll never really know the truth about anything, on a platter, and it's probably been on ice for the last 10 years. But anyway, I'm sure the whole story is a fake, and I'm so used to the fakes coming from uh, the Pentagon. I don't take much notice of them at all. I don't think you ever get any truth out of them whatsoever on any particular topic. So I'll try and avoid that whole story tonight and go on to things that are happening and which we can relate to and where it's all supposed to be going. And I'll be back with more on this after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and as I say, people have no memory really in this fast-paced uh, massive data overload system we all live under and inside in fact now, lots of us and they can't remember all the scams that have been pulled on them in the past uh, even though there's so many to choose from and even in the recent past they can't remember either they have no short-term memory unfortunately uh, and never mind long-term memory, they have no short-term memory and that's a symptom of something awfully wrong. And I mean that really, literally, with their brain, because we used to have very good short-term memories. And um, at least we could go back five years, ten years without a problem. Most folk can't do that anymore. Something's happened to them. And, of course, they're all getting poisoned with the food and everything else, too, and the spraying and from the air and lots of other things as well. But, of course, it doesn't really matter at this stage of the game. Most folk are, unfortunately, pretty well gone. And they go with the flow because the average person belongs to what they call the mass man or mass woman. And they go with the flow. Whatever is in for them and set as a trend for them, they follow. And that's as simple as that. People can't remember Saddam Hussein's statue getting pulled off its mounting in the square in Baghdad. Even though all the, 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 the press of the Western world, all the biggies were there on the balcony of the main hotel facing it. And that was in John Pilger's film, The War You Don't See, well worth seeing, by the way. Uh, not one of them showed you the tanks with the chains pulling the thing down. Uh, not one of them told you uh, that they'd actually brought in uh, these characters as a part of a PSYOPs operation uh, to, be on, to appear as natives on the ground pulling it down. They were actually hired to do it. Stuff like that. That was a PSYOPs operation. They can't remember Jessica Lynch, who, who really basically jumped out of a Humvee and, and hurt herself. And, of course, the PSYOPs boys and intelligence services used that, that she fought to the last bullet, you know, and pulled her knife out, and, and eventually she was captured and taken into a, a prison. And, and in reality, the Iraqis had very nicely taken to a hospital, and she wasn't even guarded. And the, so the PSYOPs put on a great show of bringing in the rangers to rescue her, and they made a big show of this nonsensical thing. It's like all walked in, nobody fired at them because there was nobody there to fire at them, and she was being looked after, and, of course, they brought her back. And that was a big thing, too. All Hollywood is, you see. And and then the story came out much, much later what had actually happened. Uh, and, of course, they even used the football hero soldier, Pat Tillman, who'd packed in his career and joined the military in that actual operation. So they were using him to... All geared for the American psyche, unfortunately. 
they understand the American psyche, psyche so well. Just watch the movies geared at the American psyche. They created the American psyche, actually, in Hollywood. And then, of course, Pat Tillman himself, who eventually ran up a hill chasing phantoms that weren't there and left his platoon. The rest of his platoon came along down in a gorge in some vehicles, didn't know it was him, and they opened fire and killed him. So his own guys killed him eventually, which is pretty typical in, in reality. And uh, and even then they tried to use him again, the PSYOPs operation, uh, that he was ch- leading a platoon up the hill chasing the enemy when he was shot. But it came out eventually what had actually happened because his family insisted to know the truth. They wanted to know the actual truth. And even though he'd put it in his will, he didn't want a big fanfare as a a hero. He knew he would be used, of course. Uh, The Pentagon still put it on regardless of what the family's wishes and his own wishes and still tried to make him a sort of martyr, etc., a great hero. So this is another one with this whole uh, Ben Laden or Ben... Osama Ben um, Goldstein, as I call him, uh, that pulled out the cookie jar at the right time as things plummet at, at home. And the public are saying, saying, God, how many years is this going to go on spending billions and trillions of dollars? Uh, and so they, they give you a, a nice Hollywood ending to it all. So I want to say, I want, that's all I'm going to say about that nonsense because it's a complete psyops operation. And if we ever know any truth of anything, it'll come out maybe 10 years from now, if we're lucky. But what's happening across the rest of the world is more important in real life. And I mean real life because folk are hurting everywhere in the U.S. and, and, and Canada too. As food's going up 35%, gasoline's about $1.40 a litre today in Canada or Ontario. Uh, even though we make most of the gas they use in the U.S., by the way, most of the U.S. don't even know that. It's made in Canada. Uh, they get it cheaper there and always have done than Canadians get it, even though it's made here. It's because Canadians are more laid back too and actually more dumbed down than other countries. They seem to be quite happy at being dumbed down. Uh, and I was surprised today, even going into the little garage not too far away, even in Toronto Sun, it's a rag that always has, its main story is always front page sports, or, or it's a, a female with hardly anything on, and that's, that's what they give Canadians, you see. Uh, they even had a Samus picture on that. I thought, oh my god, you know, uh, that, that, definitely a PSYOPs operation when that rag carries that too. They've all been told to carry the nonsense. But anyway, as I say, and Harper too. I mean, it was amazing. I was out through the Canadian media today to see about uh, the election, and there's hardly anything much mentioned about it, really. Harper's back in again. Of course he is, because he's high council on foreign relations. Uh, he's their man, and he'll keep the war going too. Anybody else, of course, would have to pretend they were left-wing and pull their boys back home. So they want the guy to continue, his masters do, and it's not, his masters are definitely not the public. So it was, a, it was just like a non-event, the whole thing. And it wasn't even mentioned in some papers that he got back in. Anyway, that's calendar for you. But in, in Britain, for instance, there's an article here called The, the New Victorians. Families face the biggest cash crunch since 1870. 1870. And it says, uh, it's the greatest pressure on their finances for nearly 150 years, reporters warned. Now, workers face a combination of inflation and low pay raises or even freezes for a fourth year in a row, according to international financial consultants, consultants Deloitte. 
It says it will be the first time since the 1870s that real wages, the sum you earn after inflation has been taken into account, have fallen for four successive years. The report said average earnings will rise by 2.4% this year and inflation is expected to be 4.4%. It's been a lot higher than that with all the extra fuel charges and stuff. And it says Deloitte's economic advisor, Roger Buttle, said households' disposable incomes will fall by £780 this year. And that's what I said about, you see, this is austerity. Your disposable income is the stuff that you'd spend on other things, extras, outside of necessities. Now everything will be spent on necessities. And even then, you'll be lucky to meet the targets for those necessities. That's what austerity is. And that's what they mean by austerity. Anyway, this company, this firm, also predicts incomes will not return to 2009 peaks until 2015. Well, I'll laugh at that because it ain't going to come back, folks. It's not planned to. And if you read the CFR's reports and look at all the greenies and the UN's agenda, you'll find out they don't plan to give you, let you have disposable income eventually. It's astonishing, too, in the U.S. how they can just keep borrowing and borrowing on the backs of generations to come. And get away with it only because it's such a large country, really. Uh, even though they're not really producing anything much except from bombs, missiles, and propaganda, uh, that's, that there's born like crazy and keeping a lot of prices artificially low compared to the rest of the world. But of course, the piper will be paid eventually and it's going to be chaos within the U.S. And they know this at the top too. They'll use every means possible to suppress the public when, when it all goes down again. You haven't hit bottom yet. And the, even the final crash hasn't come yet either. There's no doubt about that. But they've been planning this for the last 20-odd years, 30 years, with internal armies to take care of the fallout. They, they, we're all we're going through a script, remember, a long-term uh, business plan to take the world over for the few and to eradicate what was once called the middle class. And in Japan, of course, that doesn't apparently exist anymore, and Fukushima never happened, and it says, what? What's that you're talking about? You know, I've forgotten all about that. Well, of course, those plants are still giving off radiation, and um, and they're going to be continuing to do so, apparently, for 10 months or more. And even 10 years, it would say, they say it would take to basically disassemble the plants and move everything what's left out of them. But uh, the, the fissionable material is still fissioning away there, but we're not supposed to know that. We're supposed to think about, well, Osama bin Feinstein, or no, Feinstein, <laughs> Goldstein, I should say. The Steins start to get rather confusing, there's so many. But anyway, it says here, Fukushima parents dish the dirt in protests over radiation levels. Uh, furious Fukushima parents dump school playground earth that may have radiation levels well above the old safety level. And it says, this is from The Guardian, it says, uh, Furious parents in Fukushima have delivered a bag of radioactive playground earth to education officials in protest at moves to weaken nuclear safety standards in schools. The children can now be exposed to 20 times more radiation than was previously permissible. The new regulations have prompted an outcry. A senior advisor resigned and the Prime Minister, Naoto Kan, was criticized by politicians for his own party. Uh, from his own party. Ministers have defended the increase in the acceptable level from 1 to 20 millisieverts per year as a necessary measure to guarantee the education of hundreds of thousands of children in Fukushima Prefecture, location of the nuclear plant that suffered, and I won't even say partial meltdown, these were complete, martial, complete meltdowns, and several explosions after the earthquake and tsunami on March the 11th. 
It says it's estimated that 75% of Fukushima's schools may have radiation levels above the old safety level of one millisievert. And local authorities in Koryama have tried to ease the problem by digging up the top layer, layer of soil in school and day centre playgrounds, but residents near the proposed dump site have objected. By the way, what they do is uh, they dig the stuff up and then they say they're going to fill, uh, fill in them in, in holes elsewhere. Well, I hope they'll do it. It's something that Britain never did when they had their nuclear accidents because they would dump them in areas uh, where eventually they'd build houses and the people were coming down with cancers. I was watching an old documentary on that and, of course, um, the government's not uh, owning up to the fact that uh, they, they admit there's high levels of radiation in these uh, soil under these housing units in England, but they won't see where it's come from. And they never will, by the way. Everybody's dying of cancer there. That's what they do with the soil. What are you, what else are you going to do with it? Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. It's a, a good video, in, in a sense it's good, it's well produced, but it's a light-hearted take by the Council on Foreign Relations, basically on the Council on Foreign Relations, and it's called The American Ruling Class, and it's introduced by Lewis Lapham, who appears in the documentary comedy, you might say, I call it comedy, it's a comedy to me, but anyway, Lewis Lapham, who is the editor of Harper's Magazine. And it gives you the story of two guys leaving Yale. And, of course, uh, one of them goes right into Wall Street uh, because the doors are opened up for them. And the other one goes through this little, just for the documentary, oh, I don't know what to do with myself. I'll try this, try that. And Lewis Lapham guides them through uh, this this documentary, basically, uh, how it's like to be poor, what it's like to be poor. And then takes them to the CFR's... uh, um, main door, in fact, in New York at the Harold Pratt building and said, and he says to him, everyone who's ever been anything in America is a member or has been a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. At least that's the one true part they have in it. And he says, I can't bring you through the door. It's very Masonic in that way. You have to enter by yourself. And, um, it's a, it's something worth seeing, at least for the, for, their, for the way they put it right in your face, even in a light-hearted manner, that the way it's presented. But on the cover-up, it's got the White House, meaning they own that, you see. In the middle, they've got Wall Street, they own that too. And then there's a, there's a photograph of the Pentagon, they own that as well. That's your three elements of power, you see. And that's all you have to own. But they do talk about different members, of course. Uh, that are in the Pentagon, in, in Wall Street, etc. And it was made just a year before they, they took the banks down. Before that, they'd actually take you in a documentary into Wall Street and some of the top corporations there. They wouldn't dare show them right now, I'm sure, after they looted you all. But they kept talking about this virtue thing. Why? How come they could manage to run the country, really, the real establishment and the ruling class? How could they run the country and, and, and always be... Um, uh, sort of beneficent to the people, and they keep bringing up this word virtue, this Masonic term they're always using. Well, they've got virtue. In other words, they know just how much they plundered you, but not enough to starve you, and stuff like that. So have a good laugh at that, and um, see what you think. 
and talking about Chatham House, I was looking at the Chatham House rule because one of the, they call it the rule. It says when a meeting or part thereof is held under the Chatham House rule, participants are free to use the information received, but neither the identity nor the affiliation of the speaker or speakers nor that of any other participant may be revealed. And it says the world famous Chatham House rule. That's, just, that's the British one as opposed to the Harold Pratt building. Once the one that rules Britain may be invoked at meetings to encourage openness and the sharing of information. The rule originated at Chatham House with the aim of providing anonymity to speakers and to encourage openness and the sharing of information. It is now used throughout the world. Well, it is because they have organizations throughout the world now as an aid to free and open discussion. Meetings do not have to take place at Chatham House or be organized by Chatham House to be held under the rule. This it all affiliations of the house. In other words, many organizations all run by this ruling establishment. Again, read, read Carol Quigley, who goes through uh, it as a historian for this group, uh, and, uh, the, and Tragedy and Hope, and you also get the, the Anglo-American establishment to find out uh, about this ruling class, this, this dominant minority. Well worth uh, reading uh, Quigley's books. You have to actually to understand anything at all. But um, this whole idea of anybody can make it in America is, is quashed uh, totally by uh, the American ruling class. You have to come out of the top Ivy League schools. And what is interesting, too, in the American ruling class documentary, uh, they actually say that, that they keep their eyes open uh, in the universities for up-and-coming people with the right stuff, youngsters with the right stuff, in other words. And that's how they select them in, in the U.S. and in England as well. And that means they've got their own embedded professors, obviously, there to give the nod of this, this is a likely one candidate here, someone who can be trusted, tested, and will keep their mouth shut wherever you put them. That's really what they mean by that. So that's how the world is really, really run by a dominant minority, as Huxley called them. And... Just to touch on the scams that they pull off. And the elite are always pulling off scams on the public. That's how they live, you see. <laughs> Everything is a scam. Even the idea of the government is a scam. Uh, or even voting is a scam. When there's only one agenda and the CFR members make sure that the head of all parties has to be one of theirs. That's all you need. The rest of them are just trained seals. You see a circus that clap for the leader. You know, they slap their fins together there. Wind farms, we know it's one of the biggest scams ever, and Britain and other countries have dished out these through government agencies, these massive grants for wind farms to get started up. And you can get them put on your land if you're a British lord, for instance, maybe, maybe nine of them, and get paid thousands of dollars each per month just for having them sitting there. But it says wind farms paid £900,000 to switch off for one night. So the wind farm operators were paid £900,000 by the national grid to disconnect their turbines for one night because the electricity was not needed. So even when it's not needed, you get a massive reward through government. That's how the real scams work, isn't it? We're all stupid at the bottom, aren't we? We put up with all this nonsense. The payments worth up to 20 times the value of the power they would have produced raises serious concerns about such subsidies which are paid for by the customer. The six Scottish wind farms were asked to stop producing electricity on a particularly windy night last month as the national grid was overloaded. The transition cables do not have the capacity to transfer the power to England, so they switched off and operators received compensation for not producing. Compensation for not producing. 
even though they're getting subsidized even to exist. £312,000 one was paid, and now I've got £263,000 for not producing back after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're cutting through the matrix and going over the nonsense with wind farms because it costs way more to keep them operating uh, than they were put back into the grid. And even when they don't produce, they get paid for it as well by the taxpayers' money. And it's all done by lobbyists, you see, because true money, true wealth, put it that way, comes from the taxpayers via government and grants and so on. And that's why the big boys lobby all the time. They lobby governments all the time. So whenever a new con comes up, they're in like a shot, the sharks, and they pay off the politicians and they get kickbacks too for giving up contracts. And, and then they get all their grants given to them. And it says here, the payments were discovered, but this is for six nuclear, or six, uh, not nuclear, six wind farms basically. They got 900,000 pounds for one night for switching off. This is the payments were discovered by the Renewable Energy Foundation, a green think tank. They should give them a new building, eh, so it's not covered in fungus, which accused the government of building too many wind farms in northern Britain. Says John Constable, Director of Policy and Research, said not enough care had been taken to ensure there were enough high-voltage cables to transfer the power to other parts of the UK when it was needed. Well, that's not the point. It's just a big scam. It says here, it says, hasty attempts to meet targets for renewable energy means some Scottish wind farms are now in the extraordinary position of not only printing money when they generate, but printing it even faster when they throw their energy away when they shut down, he told the Sunday Times. The average turbine is understood to generate power to about £150,000 worth of power a year, but has awarded incentives, that's cash grants, in the form of subsidies per year, £250,000. It's what a deal, eh? So they get £250,000 incentives to, to produce £150,000 worth of, of electricity a year. <laughs> Not bad, eh? What a great scam, isn't it? Such payments were intended as a way to pay householders above market rates to generate electricity from solar panels and small wind turbines on their roofs. That's how they got the law through, you see. But in February, Chris Hewn, Energy Secretary, announced the review of financial subsidies for renewable energy uh, after large-scale photovoltaic farms began springing up all over the countryside. Now, there's actual farms doing it, like businesses, big businesses. The operators which halted production and benefited from their payments last month included Scottish Power, which owns Whiteleaf Wind Farm near Glasgow, and N Power Renewables, who, which runs far wind farms near Inverness. I think some of these are owned by British Lords as well. A spokesman from the National Grid confirmed the payments. He said, on the night of April the 5th and 6th, the demand for power was low, but the nuclear generation plants in Scotland were running as expected. There was also heavy rainfall, which meant hydro plants were also operating well too. So they told me to shut them down and it costs £900,000 just for the night, eh? You can't lose if you're in the scam, eh? If you're inside the scams, you'll never get in there, but the big boys do. Unless you can afford to lobby and, and give the payoffs. Yeah, you'll never get into it. There's a caller on the line. It's Mike from Chicago. Are you there, Mike? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, um, Alan, I remember, I think maybe a week ago, you were talking about how, uh, how like the media would talk about something serious, and then yeah. uh, like 
if and then like in the next instance to talk about something like fantastic or something like fantasy land mm-hmm. and uh and uh I was with my dad i was I was watching CNN. Uh, I don't usually watch TV and they're talking about you know Osama bin Laden he's dead and then um in the next instance they talk about like zombies and like something that'll never you know that could never exist uh-huh. and I was thinking in my head like I saw the Latin and the zombies. That's kind of ironic. It's kind of like uh, tongue in cheek, uh, yes. tongue in uh, tongue in cheek, because mm-hmm. technically he's a zombie. Because <laughs> yeah. they, uh, you know, they bring him back to life many times. <laughs> many times. It's it's like a Superman serial. You know, he, d- he dies in one, but you find that the next one he's not dead at all, and so they revive him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I got one. I got one uh, one question because I know you got uh, other people on uh, other lines. So. Uh, um, I have a question. This is about, uh, like, you know, ancient religions and ancient societies. Uh, have you ever heard about, like, uh, the ancient Moors and the ancient um, Kemites? Have you ever yeah. heard about uh, this? Is, can, you tell me, uh, can you, like, uh, you know, tell, I guess, the listeners mm-hmm. about, you know, these civilizations? Yeah, you're talking about the Hamites, eh? Uh, no, the, the Kemites, K-E-M-I-T. Oh, yeah, the, the Kemites, yeah. yeah. Well, again, too... Uh, the Canaanites, uh, Canaan, uh, Canaanites and so on, uh, it's an interesting term because it was just for a, you gotta understand, even, and, and it's, it's kept under wraps, of course, because the real histories are kept in archives, and they know exactly who everybody happened to be, but in old times, and, and, and more recent times, they would give them a broad spectrum of an area, a term, so they were all called Canaanites, or sort of, and so on, and Kenites as well. And you also have, um, the Phoenicians, for instance, which was the Greek name, for, for, for the Canaanites, basically, the same people. It's, it's very confusing until you go into the real, real old, old ancient history uh, from other countries, not from the English uh, uh, educational system, but from other old countries or, or Persian uh, records and so on as to who people actually were. Uh, even though the land they call Palestine um, is mentioned as Palestine some, in some uh, histories, but it's also called by the Romans who occupied it, uh, Edomia. They called them all Edomites uh, in their particular day. So it gets very confusing. Uh, so um, uh, there's no doubt about it. They, they do know who everybody was and, and, and where they're all descended from today. And some have disappeared off the map altogether, of course, as time went on and people were moved out. But uh, we'll never get all the truth on, on who was who, except except what you do get, even through the what's snuck through the authorized histories, is that there have been peoples coming down through time that have always run trading and banking and money lending to nations. And you'll get it through when you're reading histories of other countries, even the, the Spartans, the Spartans held out against the monetary system of ancient times when the Phoenicians were paying armies, uh, or basically getting countries that they conquered through debt, um, uh, they were getting, using those armies to then try and attack uh, the Spartans, and the Spartans didn't, did not want to go on the silver standard, and, and they used their own iron money, especially tempered iron, so you couldn't copy it. And uh, the event, it was a long, long war, but eventually they lost it. So even ancient times, it was very, very much like the similar today where they're trying to get a, a world currency going, uh, they were trying to do it in ancient times as well. And it's only when you, you look into, well, who was financing the wars and the armies against uh, Sparta do you find the same people cropping up again 
that ran the trade routes, lent to nations, got them into debt, and part of the, 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 the debt deal would be that the, the armies would then be used for the Phoenicians to conquer the other countries and introduce the same currency. Yeah. Okay, uh, okay, let's say the Phoenicians and the Canaanites, they're, uh, they're the ancestors of, of the, you know, the black nobility and the blue blood and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't it, is it true that uh, the only reason... Um, uh, you know, Canaan, the Canaan and uh, the Phoenicians area is kind of around like Israel, right? Actually, it included the whole lot. In fact, that's what the Romans called even that part now called Israel. They, they called it Edomia as well. Yeah. Okay. Isn't it true in order in order for West Africa to do business with Russia or for uh, the British Isles to do business with India, they have to go through uh, um, whatever Israel. Israel, that, that region or area, because they didn't have any planes or, you know, any other transportation, yeah. you know, and, had, and everybody, everything was by foot. You had to yeah. walk through that area in order. It, am I right? Yeah, it was a crossroads. Uh, that area was a crossroads from armies going east to west, north to south all the time. And even before the Romans, of course, you know, the Greeks ran it for a while too. Yeah. Wow, that, that is amazing. So that's. Uh, so, the, so everything revolves around money. So that's the only reason why uh-huh. uh, it's called the Holy Land because it's, uh-huh. you know it was like the banking center of the world. Banking center of the world, and uh, through compound interest, uh, the money goes into a black hole, never to be seen again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and how about the, uh, the Hyksos people? Are they basically basically the Phoenicians and the Canaanites? Are they uh, the Hyksos people who invaded? Uh, uh, 18th Dynasty Egyptian uh, pharaohs. Yeah, there, there were two people at the same time invaded Egypt in that particular uh, time. Uh, one was by land, and they were the the Hyksos, and often miscalled um, the Shepherd Kings. That's, that's what it means. Uh, but also they were called, they were really drovers of cattle. Cattle were the main thing, and they came from from the east. Uh, and of course, they also had coming from uh, the north by sea, they had uh, the, the people of the sea coming in as well, and it was quite an interesting combination that eventually conquered Egypt at that particular time. The Hyksos were the worst, uh, it recorded the Egyptian history as the worst rulers they'd ever had. They were utter barbarians to any other people except their own, and they slaughtered many of them, uh, cut their arms off too, which is an ancient tradition, by the way, in, in, in Hebrew, was to cut off the right arm of your enemies and filled carts with them and prayed them around the cities. But eventually they were overthrown and kicked out uh, again by uh, an actual Egyptian much, much later. But there's a lot, more, a lot of history definitely involved in that. And even the, the ones who came from the, from the sea, uh, the Egyptians were uh, really surprised to find out that they were all circumcised like, like they were themselves. Egyptians at one point thought they were the only guys circumcised. They were surprised to find these other guys were circumcised as well. Now, uh, isn't it true that, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, as you know, the upper uh, upper Egypt and lower Egypt is the upper Egypt is really the south. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And because uh, <laughs> of how the Nile flows, and you got the six cataracts and yeah. so on. Um, you have uh, ancient Axum, uh, A X U M, and uh, ancient Kush, the Kushites. Yeah. Uh, is it possible that uh, the Egyptians could? The descendants of ancient Kushites and uh, ancient Axum dynasties. Well, the Egyptians themselves uh, claimed they were they were they were Hamites, and uh, that they come 
uh, through their uh, and very ancient times, uh, and that they formed the Nile. And that, that's, I'm not kidding when I say this. That that was the first bank. They banked the water. They made the banks for the water, uh, the water of life that made everything grow. And you had to eventually pay for the water if you lived, lived alongside the, where they channeled the water into. Because it used to be a, a big swampland at one time, and there were different uh, tribes living around there, small farmer types that had cattle, etc. A lot of them were put out of business or had to go into slavery under the pharaoh. But uh, they actually banked the water. And um, they split it into two. The, the, the north and the south, and they, they often had, uh, if one pharaoh ruled over both the north and the south, he would, he would be called the, the pharaoh of the two hats. And at one point it was actually three, three parts of the hat, but later on it was only two parts, that was the red and white part. Uh, but they also had a blue one as well, right, red, white and blue. That's where you get your flag colors for revolution from, like Britain, like the US, France and so on. But uh, it's, it's in, that's a fascinating history behind uh, Egypt altogether. But the Hamites themselves, they claim to belong to that group, while other bands of Hamites went across that whole region and, and the Middle East, and they were despised by uh, every other tribe because uh, their whole attitude was very much like William the Conqueror, very similar in the techniques. They would come to the castle gates or, or, the, or the city gates, uh, and they would demand everyone surrender, and if you didn't, they, they would show you by previous prisoners that they got from elsewhere, they'd kill them in front of everybody who were looking down from the city walls, and they, they would slaughter them in a horrible way. They'd burn their eyes out and everything, long, nasty deaths, to terrify the inhabitants to give up. And then they would plunder the, 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 the city, and they would take the younger people for slaves, who, and they'd sell them off elsewhere. The older folk, they would take outside the city gates and cut their hamstrings. That's where hamstring cut is, comes from. Uh, that came from the Hamites. They'd cut the hamstring and allow them to die slow deaths. We'd have to crawl and crawl looking for water until they died, just for a slow death, just for the hell of it, you know. And so the, the, they were despised wherever they went, the Hamites, yeah. The Hamites, and um, isn't, uh, like this from the Bible, uh, were uh, like Noah, the son of uh, Ham, is the son of Noah, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. The Ham- yeah. And where did the Hamites come from? Well, they, they, they pretend wherever that they, 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 they come from. It's, you have to go into the Talmud to get the story, and it's really a nasty story. Uh, of course, you're a little bit in the, in the, in the, the five books of Moses, but uh, the, the Hamites really supposed are the descendants of Ham. And, of course, Ham was cursed, supposedly, for looking upon his father's nakedness. It wasn't looking upon his father's nakedness, by the way. I mean, old Noah, this is a fairy tale, of course, but, uh, I mean... Uh, Noah's first thing that he did when he when he got out of the ark was to plant a vineyard, and then he got himself drunk when he grew. But uh, supposedly something happened when he was asleep by one of his sons. And this is traditionally, and it's really a nasty story they give. And they they say that all all the black folk were descended from Ham, and they go into nasty details about about basically being subhuman. That as in the Talmud actually, and there was a a black professor of history. And I'll try and get that link tonight, put it up for you. He goes through this in a great way and shows you how incredibly racist it is, you know. Yeah. Actually, no, I actually heard it. I mean, you don't have to worry about being right, but I actually heard about it. Um, yeah, yeah, the Hamites are, uh, yeah, they were black. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. Yep. And so they were actually do these things. And just, you know, mm-hmm. wow, yep. that's crazy. <laughs> uh, but we also know too, we also know too that from other tombs in Egypt, for instance, 
that a people did come in. We don't know when. I don't. I think it was even before the Hyksos came along, and somehow took the country over, probably through finances and and and, and debt and so on, uh, or simply rose up there by having incredible wealth. And they wore black wigs, and they were white, and they had light-coloured eyes. And lots of the, their effigies in the tombs have been found uh, that show you the colours of their eyes, and and underneath they had red hair or even blondish. So we, d- we don't know who these people were. They've found them, too, in the graves have dug up in ancient Sumer, 5000 BC, uh, with these black wigs made, made from local native hair. Uh, even the beards that the guys wore, that the fears wore, were, were, were actually artificial. <laughs> so it's never been explained who these people were. But then when you go into uh, the people who maybe have moved out of Egypt at one time and ended up in the area called Khazaria, because uh, there's a lot in common with Egypt, they worshipped the phallic symbol as their only symbol of, of religious symbol at all. They converted to Judaism uh, a, a, few, a few centuries AD on uh, mass. And uh, they also had this inner clique of kings and queens who were blue-eyed, green-eyed, and who were reddish-haired. Uh, so they had two distinct types of Khazars at the time. So it's, it's often thought that they actually had been one of the groups that, that came out of Egypt. We've never known where the ruling classes of Egypt went to. And even its latter days, it supposedly went down and down, but it was still a very prosperous area. It was one of them that even ancient Rome uh, used it uh, for for its for agriculture, they, they got most of the grain. It fed the empire. I mean, it was a very wealthy area, but it was never explained where the ruling classes of Egypt ever went to. Yeah. So, 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 uh, all we know the ethnicity of these people uh, was basically almost like it was a mix of people. Yeah, I, I think I think the the ones with the money eventually would always take over and probably did take over. Yeah, uh, over the ordinary peoples. Yeah. Really, it doesn't matter what color you are. No. Greed will always uh, turn a, man, a good man bad. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they form their cliques and clans, and then you have a ruling class. Yeah. But uh, thanks for calling. And I'll be back after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. The, the professor of black history who came across the history of the Hamites and where it all came from and so on was Tony Martin. And uh, he was a professor, taught at Wellesley until 2007. I'll try and find that link because I put it up a few years back. And uh, it's worth watching. He's a good talker. He knows his facts and so on. It's quite interesting to listen to. Now there's another caller, Steve from Texas, on the line. Are there, Steve? Hey, I do now. Yes. Yeah, this is uh, Stephen. Um, uh, called your show previously, and just recently I received your your book, the volume one book, uh, in the mail, and I want to appreciate you and thank you for sending me that book. Uh, anyway, I, I support you. I try my best to uh, as far as buying your books and sending donations. I know you need it. Uh, Absolutely. You're doing, Alan. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to bring to your attention uh, as far as you know the weather and what I've been noticing lately, uh, especially here in Texas and in the whole southern region. Yeah. Um. Recently, we've been having droughts, and on the days where it's been droughts, and we've been having forest fires and things of that nature, wildfires, excuse me. Uh, if you look in the sky, of course, there's the chemtrails, and the sky is cloudy and white and things of that nature. But in the morning time, you watch the, uh, the news anchors. He tells you that uh, today we're going to have bluest skies ever, but bluest skies, and of course, the, uh, the atmosphere is filled with the, uh, the chemtrails. Yep. 
I want yeah. to make another question to you, a point uh, that was happening in Alabama. They recently had tornadoes, and I'm used to, when I was growing up, tornadoes being a single uh, vortex or a single funnel. Recently, uh, these tornadoes were triple vortex, and they were huge, colossal tornadoes yeah. that uh, demolished homes in Alabama. I want to know, uh, you know, I've been reading uh, government white papers such as 2025 by the Air Force, we own the weather or control the weather. That's right, yeah. And also uh, another paper written by a gentleman, uh, How to Wreck the Environment. Um, so I want to know, uh, it, it, it kind of it baffles me too when, it, when I think about all these things, that what they can do and how. And they are doing it. You know, they, they, they are doing it. They, they, they would create a tornado with a triple vortex to wipe out people's mm-hmm. homes, you know. Yeah, and in the 1970, I think 74 or 5 agreement at the United Nations under weather warfare and weather modification, they said that literally uh, that weather warfare was was uh, more dangerous, far far more devastating than any atomic bomb uh, would would be, uh, and so it's a big thing, high priority, of course. But they also admitted that they can create, uh, they can tornadoes, they can steer tornadoes, actually steer them to the target. And they admit, this is at the United Nations and in the treaty section. And they admitted, too, uh, that um, they can cause it to rain and flood as a, a, a tactic of war, or they can literally make, cause a drought as a tactic of war. They can do either, depending on, on the type of spray they put out there. So all of that of which you're talking about, they can and are doing. And, of course, they're going to continue to do it. They've used it steadily now since 1998. That's when they, they officially started spraying constantly. They tested it for many, many years in the past, but they started doing it constantly across Canada and the U.S. and elsewhere. And, uh, and part of it, too, will be to convince the public that there is weather change, as I say, a climate change, and get us to all go under their new types of rules and move into communities, into their big cities, so we can get fed and get jobs, etc., and it would be too dangerous to, to live in the country. It's all part of the same structure, but there's no doubt about it. They've used it in other countries during warfare, and uh, they have wiped out uh, economies, uh, especially farming, by floods and droughts. And uh, they've done the same in, in the U.S. at one point, too, and Canada. They gave us floods for about four years in the breadbasket, same in the States at the same time, and then it was followed by drought for four years but uh, they are in control of it. There's no doubt about it. It's, as I say, you don't let a weapon like this go to waste. And it was built for a purpose. But thanks for calling. Uh, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, your God, go with you.